I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you're listening to Two Average Girls. Happy Tag Tuesday. Wow, we're already on Tuesday again. Can you believe it? No. It it's... comes once a week. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> like clockwork. We are we are doing this the earliest we've ever done. On a Saturday. On a Saturday, because our guest has a very tight schedule mm-hmm. and we wanted her on this bad. I had to get up, I have to say, at like 6.45 this morning, just so I could be upright eyes open <laughs> voice making it happen because i don't talk to people first thing in the morning mm-hmm. are you like that oh totally you know i'm just like leave me alone i don't talk to it me. takes me like 45 minutes sometimes an hour mm-hmm. to really want to have a conversation or actually to even look at anybody else <laughs> any other human being every morning i get up i get up an extra 15 minutes early before going to pilates or wherever so i can just meander around the house and do little housework Mm -hmm. the dishes in the sink that were left from the night before or some laundry folding so this morning that's what i did laundry folding because i want yes i did i I did some laundry folding made my bed nice just got myself up and going so that when we had our guest in Hmm. because if it was just you i wouldn't care i I, no, absolutely not you've seen it i lived it loved it (laughs) <laughs> I wrote glad. about it. <laughs> wow. And still podcasting with me after all these years. Thank you. Listen, we go to Las Vegas for the home show and they're long days. Those are long days and it's not days of, of partying and whoop whoop. It's days of like work on our feet. And I mean work when you say that, it sounds like, you know, we're digging a ditch, but we are <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. We're not roofing in the Las Vegas desert. No, I mean it's like we're not like you know. No, but it's still we're on our feet and we're kind we're on the go. We're so shopping. They're long day. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to paint a picture, and you are refusing to I to allow the dream. I when you say work, and I listen. It's it is work. I mean, I go to bed and I'm super tired mm-hmm. after that because my feet are tired and. We've, My point is, we yes. get up early-ish the next day so that we can be, be back at the market, and it's it's a little it's a little quiet around the hotel room. Yeah, I'm just like, and <laughs> both of us are just like, hello. It's, you're just let's go get a little something. We we usually get some caffeine real early. It's necessary. It's very necessary. But, but our guest doesn't seem to need that. She's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed on a Saturday morning. Welcome, Devin Atkinson. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> she had to think about it for a second. She's been up since 5 a.m. Because... Well, I get up at 4.50. Oh. That extra 10 minutes counts. <laughs> it does count. Why are you up so early on a Saturday? It takes me a long Well, my dad and I, we go hiking. Um, he's the only person crazy enough to go with me consistently. Nice. And he has to be at the office um, at 8. And so we get up that early, and I'm really slow. And so we, we need the extra time because I'm pregnant with baby number four. It started because I had just a gestational diabetes with my third baby, and I needed to regularly exercise. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got into this habit, and it just never stopped. So it's been two years now. Every Saturday, we wow. go hiking. Wow. Your dad is a champ. He's the best. Yeah, he is. He's, a, he's your one of your good friends. Yeah. 
And he's a good man. He's the best dad. He's the best grandpa, I think. Oh, yeah. The way he Hands talks down. about your grandkids is next level. It's almost in competition with me. Oh, yeah. of the way I talk about my grandkids. But we cool. banter back and forth. And I'm just like, every time I get to see him... Devin's father, for those of you do, who do not know, is John Harmon, who is a chiropractor in the area. Kind and, of a, I, kind of a famous chiropractor. Yeah, I mean, you I, know. I don't know if you can be a famous chiropractor, <laughs> but I know my mother-in-law loves him. I, I, Great. I have talked to people who's just like my chiropractor. Like he changed my life. It's John Harmon, you know. <laughs> I'm like, I know that guy. One of the reasons I wanted to have Devin on today was because the month of May um, is Mother's Day, mm-hmm. and we wanted to talk about amazing women not necessarily just because they're mothers because Mm -hmm. that makes them you know extra special if they are mothers but because they've done something that have influenced us in our lives that have stood out to us that make them the way they are so welcome Devin Atkinson mother of the year (laughs) well that's a huge (laughs) thank you I don't know about that the two average girls mother of the year we need a crown we need to get something And crown Devin with it. I don't know if she's really excited about that or a little scared. <laughs> a little bit of both. Me too. Me too. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I feel so honored that you give me these high accolades. But I feel so average. But I think sometimes people just need to hear that average people can do stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. let's go back to when we first met each other. Because one of the things that struck me about you, Devin, was your work ethic. Tell us a little bit about how life was before your kids. Oh, yeah. So... That's one thing that I, it's hard to give yourself compliments or praise yourself, but that's one thing that I, my dad instilled in me is you always want to be proud of what you put your name on. And so whether it's work or running, I, I'm not, I can't say I'm the best at everything or anything really, but I'm proud of myself for always doing my best and going the extra, my extra mile. So like when we did Ragnar's, I'm not the fastest runner. I'm pretty slow. But I'll still get up at 5 a.m. and I'll do all those miles. And when it comes to work, I'll work. The, I used to work the extra hours, and I'd fill my life with every. My calendar was full. Every day I had something going on, whether it was visiting people, calling people, exercising, getting up at 5 a.m., go to the gym, go to work, put in eight, nine hours at work, come home and run. And uh, it was kind of frustrating for my husband because he wanted me to just sit down and hang out. And I, I, I couldn't do that. <laughs> he wants to sit and watch a movie. You're and I'm not like, a oh. hanger-outer. No, no. We'd sit down and watch a movie and I'd never finish it because I'd get up and go do the dishes. I'd go do laundry. I'd, I'm a busy, busy person. And um, I found after having kids, I'm busy in, with kids now. And so those other things kind of go to the wayside. But I've always tried to be a really overly busy person. So do you think that being busy is helpful or is it is it filling time that you're just trying to get away from something else because people all the time tell me you need to slow down my personality isn't a slow person i have to slow my speech purposefully just to do this podcast (laughs) just to talk to people on a professional level like it's just not who i am what about you no i feel like that's the same way i am in a book club and we read this book and it's about these two ladies and they had different personalities one was more free-spirited and the other one was um, a working mom. And the ladies in book club were all saying how sad it was that she just was so busy and downtrodden, da da da, da. And I didn't, when I read the book, I didn't hear that. Mm. I didn't see that. I, I saw me and how I enjoy doing that. And it's, I would compare it to running. When we were doing the Ragnars, you try and find someone to run a Ragnar with you, you get so many people go, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that if my life depended on it. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're going, we want to do it. We're paying to do it. 
we're paying for it and organizing it, <laughs> and, and organizing. it's really a pain in the butt. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. stressing out over it, and it is a down to personality type. And I think, you know, we it's finding that balance. My dad, I know he worries about me that you know, he mentions you stress so much, it's gonna, you know, take years off your life, and finding that balance, but at the same time, acknowledging that that stress and that need to do more or need to keep busy and always do something also makes you feel fulfilled right and I've I've struggled with that like oh am I you know why why do I feel fulfilled like this This, everyone around me probably thinks this is not enjoyable and am I really finding joy and I don't know if it'd be the same thing as like sunshine and rainbows right some people that's what they are striving for everything needs to be fireworks and rainbows and sunshine and I think that's wonderful but I don't feel full from that. I feel full from being busy. And I think there's something to be said about that. I think that's where we get our purpose. And, you know, is there, there's always this whole, like you were saying, this whole idea that oh, if I was just on vacation permanently or something like that, then I'd be happy. But that's not true. Our happiness comes from accomplishing things. That's what I think anyway, as humans. I think we set a goal. And in order to accomplish that goal, and even if it's just I'm going to get the house clean today or whatever... I think that I don't think you're too off base, uh, you know, when you're reading that book and you're like, no, I identified with the lady that was <laughs> busy, busy working. And that's, mom. and that's not sad. That's no real life. I mean, I think that's where our purpose comes from is it's not one size fits all. No. You know, we all have our different needs and wants and goals. And one person's going to be happy, relaxing and watching a movie on a Friday evening. Another person just can't sit there and do it. Right. And neither's wrong or right. Right. You know, as long as you're feeling fulfilled and you're not obviously like getting into debt and losing everything. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, there's balance in real life, but there's a big amount of leeway that we often don't allow ourselves to realize. We are just too critical of ourselves. We feel like, oh, we should be more relaxed or we should be. We're pulling, being pushed and pulled all these different directions. Let's get back to somebody that you keep bringing up in your life is your dad. Oh and dad. we talked about him. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of have a different upbringing. And not different in a bad way, but just unconventional. Tell us a little bit about how you're, how you were raised. Oh yeah, so I know it's like Women's Month, but my dad right. is. Well, he might be on the show next. <laughs> I know. He, I'm telling you, when you're, when I think of everyday life, I don't think a day goes by that I don't think of my dad's advice to get me through whatever scenario I'm in. And um, he's your person. He's my person. Um, my parents split up when I was very young, and and my dad, you hear so many stories of kids that their parents use them as pawns, and there was horrible, awful, you know, divorce. I'm sure there was some ugliness in it. He completely shielded us from that, and he treated my mom with a lot of respect and gave her a lot of leeway, and, and I think she saw his example and followed suit. Had he been petty, she would have probably met that, but my dad... His focus was his kids always, always, 100%. Even now that I know that I can go hiking with him and at 5 a.m., right. I can ask him, he'll do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I said, hey, Dad, let's go hike Mount Timpanogos this summer. And uh, Tell we us did about it. that story because that's a cute story. <laughs> I liked it when he told me what, how, it, how but, it transpired. But it, he's always there for us. And so that's my – when I think about growing up, I think about my dad just creating that stable home life, even though – you hear divorce and those kind of things, and you just assume. Um, and my mom was really young, and it was hard for her. She needed to go find herself, and you know she went to Virginia for a while in Utah. And, but all the while, my dad was always the rock. 
And I feel like he protected us from a lot of the turmoil that I look back in hindsight and I go, oh, that was that was not great. But it doesn't bother me because he hid it from me when I was little and now I'm an old enough and adjusted, well, you know, well-adjusted person that... You can process it. And it doesn't hurt my feelings right. that, you know, my mom moved to Virginia for a while and like I think about now that I have kids. Can you imagine? I, wouldn't, I can't be away from my kids. Like right now I'm thinking, oh, you know, I... You know, I was haven't seen him this morning. I'm getting a little, you know, I came straight from hiking to right. here. Yeah. And I'm missing them, right? I couldn't imagine going across the country. And when I was little, I didn't think twice about it. And when I missed her, he'd pull out pictures. He didn't say like, oh, I can't believe your mom left you. Or he right. never highlighted that part. Oh, your mom loves you. Here's some pictures of her. Mm-hmm. We can call her. Mm-hmm. It was never a, a, our fault or... I can't believe your mom doesn't love you. That never even crossed my mind. It was just normal. Mom's doing that. She still loves me. I have dad here. Tell us a little bit about growing up with a father as your as your mother, basically. <laughs> as your primary yeah. parent. As your primary parent. He was so good about um, always wanting us around. And I think he got that from his parents. Like they, My grandma, if you knew her, always wanted you around. My dad always wants us around. And even when I know he's super busy, if I call him, I can hear it in his voice. He hides it, but I, can, I know him well enough to know he might have a million things going on. But he reserves it and lets me know that whatever I need, he will drop it all. If I, if he, and so that was growing up. I always knew he would be there for us, and he always took the time to read to us. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, she sleeps a lot, <laughs> even now to this day, but he was the one that would get up in the middle of the night for us. And he'd talk about that. And um, and it was never in a resentful, like, oh, I did that. It was, he loved doing it. Because then when we'd, you know, if we'd woke up, we would, he'd hear our little feet coming down the hall. And he knew we'd come to his side of the bed. Oh. You know, it, he knew that and that was important to him. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about, like, being better than mom. It was, he wanted that because he loved us. Mm-hmm. And it was important to him that we felt safe and that he gave us that home and that safe feeling. And it was in everything we did. And and I always knew that dad's my safe place. Did you grow up primarily at his home? Um, well, they split custody. Um, my mom, I will give my mom credit. She, once she, you know, found herself a little bit, she then eventually settled in California and she always stayed within walking distance of my dad. And they, um, they don't, I don't think they ever had a court order for custody. It was, they agreed on, you know, Wednesday nights we spend the night at mom's. Tuesdays, we'd spend all day with dads, and they trade every other weekend. And if my mom needed an extra weekend to go do something, he would he would never, he would always say, yep, bring the kids over. Mm. You know, he was very accommodating of her wanting to go find herself and, and do her things, and he paid for a lot of that so that she could do it. And when she wanted to come back, he paid for her to come back. And he did a lot of those things for her so that we would have, because his mom was so important to him. And Let's talk about Avalon. <laughs> what was Avalon like? Oh my gosh, she was home. Mm. I, she, for as long as I can remember, she had arthritis so in her knees and yes. her fingers. And so she couldn't do a whole lot, but I just remember her just being so soft and snuggly and had a smile on her face and she was more quiet. But when you came to her house, even she didn't say a lot that I can recall or think, I don't think of all the things that she said. Or, I just remember loving being in her presence and she always wanted you around it's kind of a funny story that my dad tells us when they're first my grandparents were first married and, and having kids 
my grandma was good talking to my grandpa saying, oh, I'm going to go back to work. And he said, well, no, um, I don't want anyone else watching our kids. If you're going to work, I'm going to stay home. Mm. And wow, you know, back then? <laughs> back then, yeah, that back then. That was groundbreaking. And so then- His name is know, Roy. Roy, who I named my son after. Yes. Um, and so, you know, she ended up staying home. And because she said, wow, okay, <laughs> yeah, said, we don't need the money. Yeah, she said, oh, and you know, he made good enough money, obviously, but she stayed home. And he even he told her, you need to hug the kids more, which is mind blowing to me because she's so warm. And so, and you know, she's one of 10, and I think her dad was an alcoholic and she got teased a lot. And so, I don't think it was natural to hug in her family, but once she knew to, she fully embraced it. Like, it, I, it no shocked me to hear, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it shocked me to hear that story because you would never know it. You think it would all because my grandpa, by the time I got to know him better, he had Parkinson's, and it, it was he was a little more intimidating to be around. wasn't as warm and effusive as grandma. So I always found that story fascinating. Mm-hmm. That I was like, oh, I thought it was just grandma. Right. And when I was um, in high school, before I could drive, my mom needed to get. She worked part time because my dad you know, subsidized for her, but California is so expensive. So eventually she had to go to full time, but my brother and I were in school and whatnot. So I needed a ride home and my grandma would pick me up and she'd drop me off and she'd always ask, do you want to come over? And I was like, oh, I don't want to, you know, bother you. But then I started going over to her house and it, she'd always have cheese and crackers for us. Mm-hmm. And we'd watch her little shows like Jeopardy or whatever was on <laughs> and we'd just hang out. And then when I could drive, I kept going over to her house after school and she'd always keep the door unlocked and mm-hmm. and it was just one of those things you just wanted to be with her and you knew that she wanted you around. And then I remember coming home from college and for Thanksgiving and all her family was at her house because she was the center of the family and and I remember walking through the door and I have like 20 cousins up there and it's all this chaos. It's a big family. Big family. And I remember walking through the door and I felt like I was the only one in the room when she saw me. Mm-hmm. She gave me a big hug but I know that she made everyone else in that room feel that same way. And I don't know how she did it. That's a talent. That yeah. is a real talent. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of flash to it either. She wasn't loud and you know, bombastic or whatever. She was very quiet and she wanted to hear. She let you talk. And next thing you know, you're telling your whole life story. Everything you just start <laughs> spewing out. Yeah. And you felt like you're on you know, the Tonight Show and you're the most important person in the world talking to her. And she just made you feel so safe. And one of the things that comes to mind with her too is she's so classy that she had this saying that i may like you i may not but only i know and i'm not telling oh. and and what's amazing oh. about that is like when i don't like someone i have a hard time hiding it yeah right yeah. and it, you feel it and and but with her she just made everyone feel amazing wow and i wish i i had that more because once even if people you don't like if you treat them like you do like them you do start, one, you do start to like them. And it just feels like a better world. Even my mom, who I think she was really self-conscious. And I think my my, my dad's side of the family, they're, they're beautiful. They're um, tall. Tall, affluent. They, they just, they're just hard to keep up with almost, they, you know? But I can imagine. And I yeah. think my mom probably felt self-conscious mm-hmm. about fitting in. Mm-hmm. But she loved my grandma. I think to this day, my mom's last name is still Harmon. And I don't think it was because she was concerned about making sure she had the same last name as her kids. I think she wanted to be a Harmon. She wanted to be Grandma Harmon someday, like mm-hmm. my mom, mm-hmm. or like my, 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 my grandma. Grandma, yeah. And, I, and she, when my grandma was, um, she had cancer, 
And when she was passing, my mom wrote her a note about how much she appreciated my grandma. And, you know, my parents have been divorced and, you know, she's completely separated from the whole family. I don't know if she's even really interacted with my grandma much since then, but my, her love for my grandma is there and always has been because of the kind of person my grandma was. Do, uh, do you ever hear grandma's voice in the background somewhere? How I feel it is I'm not the kind of mom, I'm not so great about wanting to like sit and craft or really like mm-hmm. do stuff with the kids. I just want to be with them. I just want to be in the same room as them. I want to be in the same house as them and I want them always around me. And sometimes I feel guilty that I'm not the mom that is... Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart. Taking her to Disneyland every weekend. and Preach. I can't stand Martha Stewart. (laughs) That's a a whole other podcast. So you're not like getting down on the ground, you know, like you said, crafting. Making turkeys at Thanksgiving with a feather. No, I get it. But even just like the basics of, hey, you want to play this game? And I'm like, no, (laughs) I will. I'll do it. That's not where I find joy. I just find joy in being with them. I don't know what kind of, you know, by the time I was old enough to remember, I don't ever, I, I don't know what kind of grandma she was. Was she the one that would play games? Maybe. The grandma I remember is that she just wanted to be with you. And so I think a lot about that in terms of, I feel bad that I begrudgingly do all these things with the kids because I know it's important and I try to hide that I don't want to do it. <laughs> but I take comfort in knowing that they feel that I want to be with them. Right. They not, know that I want to be in that room with them. You're not trying to get away from them. You're just trying to get away from Candyland and yes. <laughs> go fish. Yes, I exactly. Mm, I got you. What is your days like now? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. Um, or not. Yeah, that's a big question. I think a lot about this. Um, going back to that book, we talked about how the woman with the kids and working seemed so downtrodden in this. So I'm going to describe my day it's gonna sound you know a lot of people might look at it like oh i don't want that that's the last thing in the world that i want right but they don't have to have it yeah that's their choice (laughs) that's right right. that's the beauty of being different and and i feel and it's sad that i feel like i had to justify this but i get up in the mornings and you know it's getting ready for the morning take Roy to school i go to work i come home on my lunch breaks I try to see the kids as much as I can. You come home on your lunch break? On my lunch break. So oh. I work just up the street. Oh, that's awesome. And um, and it's hard working. Working full-time, both parents working full-time and kids. I would love to be a stay-at-home mom. But you know, I, I work full-time and then I come home and try and get it, you know, do dinner, dishes, hang out with the kids, put them to bed. And of course, that's a fight. Dinner's a fight. Going to bed's a fight. And then with our little Mabel, our third child, she has a really rare genetic syndrome called Wolf-Hirshhorn syndrome. And so part of that is her sweet little brain forgets to tell her to breathe at night. And so it's not dangerous. She's not turning blue, but it's just enough to wake her up about every 30 to 60 minutes at night. And so, and and we're still working. That's a whole other story but we're still working on how we solve that is it solvable what's all that but so there's a lot of sleep deprivation as if there wasn't enough as it was because you know the kids get sick the kids were sick the other week 
And of course, you know, Isla was waking up and she's in the bed and then Mabel's waking up and then Roy there's coughing. And so there's not a lot of sleep going on on either side. And you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. So that's what my days are like. It sounds it sounds depressing, and yet, <laughs> right? And um, and yet you're having another child. Yeah, they're having another child. And of course, people have asked me, was that on purpose? And, and I get it. I see I see where, where they're coming from. But I wouldn't, it's, and I wanted to ask you guys this too, because I was trying to reconcile this thing in my head of, this is hard, and it's harder than, before I had kids, I didn't realize how easy I had it because I kept a busy schedule. I was go, go, go. And I thought, this is so stressful. How am I going to have kids? And it's it's different. And you're so much more busy and so much more tired than you'd ever imagine. And yet when the house is quiet and they're all asleep or if, you know, for my husband, Mark, takes the kids out for an afternoon and it's quiet, I feel so empty. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why it is that this extreme challenge the bags are in my eyes. Why is that so fulfilling? I feel like joy is not even the right word. Like it's not fireworks and rainbows. And yet I would take that over jet setting all around the world. But I know someone else would never want this life that I have. And they would rather jet set around the world and see all these beautiful things. And But why is it that, I don't know, is, do you ever feel that way? Yes, I felt that way. I only had one, I only have one kid. But it's still the level of chaos at whether you have one or whether you have seven. There's still that level of it's not about me, you know, kind of thing. Um, Now that he's on his own and at college, whatever, there is an emptiness, you know, that not that I'm trying to fill, but just that's there. How old are your kids? Roy is five, five Mm -hmm. and a half. Isla just turned four. Mabel is 16 months. And then this little one's going to be due in September. You have a large bandwidth. And Apparently. you have the ability to do these things because you're doing hard things. Well, I don't know. It, one of my friends described it because they said, oh, you're such a strong person for wanting all this. And I said, I don't, I don't know if I'm strong or good at it. And they go, oh, you know what? You're determined. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's it. That I, This is what I want. And it's hard to deter me from what I want, even if I'm not great at it. Even if I'm a slow runner, I think my marathon that I did, I, I was like five hours. You know, it's something you don't want to admit to, but I did it. Mm-hmm. I crossed the finish. And I trained for it, and I did it because that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I want, I want, I've always wanted a lot of kids, and when I think about how hard it is, I go, but this is what I want, and I'd be so sad if I didn't try to make that happen. And so even, you know, having a lot of kids in general is hard, and I know that a child – who has special needs will make that a little different challenge. Um, I never wanted to feel like, and I never wanted to, I, I was worried that my situation with Mabel, I never wanted to resent Mabel for me not having more kids. Right. You know, it's not her choice that she was missing some chromosome. Um, and so, I know for a lot of people, they would look at our situation and go, why are you doing that? 
but I'm just determined, I guess, <laughs> for yeah. right or wrong. <laughs> you also have some help at home. Oh, yes. We, my in-laws live with us. And see, that's I definitely want to be very open about help because I think a lot of our society, they make it sound like you got to do all these things without help. You have you, to do it all. all. Do it all. And if you have help, don't let anyone know. Your in-laws actually live in the house with We you. live in the house with us, mm-hmm. and we pay them to watch the kids uh, during the week. Um, and... And it makes all the difference in terms of I couldn't imagine having to get all the kids ready and haul them off to daycare on my way to work and pack all their foods and yeah. do all that. And and especially with Mabel, because she has a lot of appointments. And I feel extra blessed that, you know, they were already living with us before we even knew about Mabel's situation. And it was just all the better for it because now we have that extra help getting her to all her therapies that she's going to need. And, and she'll have all those things that maybe we might not have been able to do if it was just Mark and I. Yeah, that's that's amazing hard. that your mother-in-law and your father-in-law, but your mother-in-law is really stepping up. Yes, yeah. That that's very very helpful. I, and I think that you bring up a good point that it's you you need help, and we all need to ask for it. Yes, it's okay to be vulnerable, and it's okay not to be able to do everything well. Yes, absolutely. Did you know um, when Mabel before Mabel was born that she was special needs? You know what's crazy is I'm so hyper worried about stuff, but. I, my first pregnancy, I had a kidney stone and a blood clot. And because I had a blood clot, I have to have a high risk doctor yes. tr- um, see me. And that means I have extra ultrasounds. I have all these extra things, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she wasn't, when I got the very first ultrasound, he said, oh, she's going to be a small baby and around five or six pounds. And I'm going, I don't, I don't have small babies. My first two were over nine pounds. Oh. My family, we have nine, 10 pound babies sure. on average. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and and I thought that's, that's something weird. to look forward to on the <laughs> fourth one. <laughs> I know, right? I have I have so part of the with the blood clot, I have to have injections of of really kind of painful blood thinner because that's the only way you could take a blood thinner when you're pregnant. Mm. And I have an enormous fear of needles. Mm. Oh no. Great. And it's a lot it's like every day. And then I also get gestational diabetes that I try to control with diet, but it gets to the point where I also have to take insulin. Oh my goodness. And so there's a lot of needles. A lot of needle work and happening. Every day. <laughs> every day. And so um but yeah, going back to the I have to have a high risk doctor and when he first did, he noticed that she was going to be small. And I thought, that's weird. And I noticed that she wasn't growing as much. And I comment to him. And I'd say, I'm concerned about this. And he goes, well, some babies are small. And I go, okay. He's a high-risk doctor. He's seen it all. Sure. I would think that he would have red flags if I should be worried. And then when they would measure, like, the fundal height, I think she was just barely, she was just barely behind. And she ended up being six and a half pounds when she was born. And typically kids with this syndrome are like three pounds oh so yeah. she was a big baby i had my baby yeah and but I, the diabetes didn't help because big and i was worried because how is she not getting bigger when i also have diabetes that's mm-hmm. i'm struggling to control with that i'm i'm doing the diet but it's still and uh and typically babies with that di- or gestational diabetes leads your babies to be bigger mm-hmm. and so there was all these little yellow flags right <laughs> but um she was she didn't have a lot of this the typical things that happen with the syndrome usually there's like a big hole in the heart or there's um a cleft lip or cleft palate or club feet these things that should have that would have shown up on an ultrasound that might have triggered a warning of oh this could be a something wrong yeah so she didn't have any of those things other than she was smaller but because i have big babies she wasn't small enough to set off yeah red flags, red flags. Right. and we actually got really lucky because even when she was born they were ready to release us but she had 
um, rapid breathing, that they wanted to rule out an infection. And so they took her to the NICU and it was just to watch her for 24 hours. But there was a neonatologist there. And I think he, they call it dysmorphic features. And she had what he saw. She saw a lot of pediatricians throughout the days she was there. And no one noticed. She didn't. They still hadn't caught it. No. And she has low tone, but not low tone enough as a baby to warrant the red flags, right? Mm -hmm. So this neonatologist, he kept, and Mark was upset because he wanted to keep us an extra day. He was writing the discharge paperwork, handed it to me, and then took it back and said, I want to I, I want to find out why she has that rapid breathing. It's not an infection, but let's go. I want an ENT to come make sure it's not structural. And then he said, and maybe a geneticist. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that that's, you do not want to hear that word Okay. <laughs> when, when you're in the NICU. Uh-huh. I, I, he said it, he was very kind. He didn't want to sh- set off any red flags, but I think he knew. Mm-hmm. And so when the uh, geneticist came, I even asked, like, should we be worried? She said, well, there's some features that I see. And she had thin lips, thin kind of downturned lips, pointy eyebrows. I'm going, my husband has super pointy eyebrows. I have thin lips. And then she said she had a, had a prominent forehead. And I'm going, what? She looks like a normal, you know, it was came out of the birth canal. People. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but I see it now. I see exactly what they're talking about now. And this, this geneticist is very good. And I think they, I think she knew immediately that there was, but she obviously didn't want to say it without. And she even said that the, there's a facial look for kids with Wolf-Horshorn syndrome. They call it like the Greek helmet face. And, and Mabel wasn't, stru- you see it more now, but at the time it wasn't prominent enough for her. She said she's seen kids with Wolf-Horshorn. She could typically point it out. But Mabel was, my, so she was just barely... We just got really lucky that they found it at the NICU. I'm glad they didn't find it while I was pregnant because I think that would have been pretty devastating to be pregnant and knowing. Sure. So I am relieved that my my doctor didn't care about all the yellow flags that were going off. <laughs> so you know, I said, I'm like, worry is your yeah. your thing, and yeah. that would have been really hard for you. Yes, and it was. And after she was born, it was really hard. Mm-hmm. It. So when they came back to you, let's go back. The geneticist, they run the test. How long did that take before they told you? It took two weeks to get the, because it was a, the type of scan they had to do. Because I did all the genetics testing and it didn't come up because the size of the deletion of her chrome, the tip of her chromosome is small enough that they have to do a special type of array. I don't know, I can't remember what it was all called. Um, and really that's only been around for like last 10, 15 years to catch that small of a deletion. And so I think there's plenty of children and, and adults now out there that have chromosome disorders that aren't diagnosed because that wasn't around. Mm-hmm. And it also has led to her, you can, you Google her her disorder and it's a lot of the research that's available online is based on when they could only find the large deletion sizes, which comes with a lot of comor- comorbidities. Mm-hmm. And it's really scary because now you're seeing like, 60% of the kids don't make it or, you know. Right. And the so worst case scenarios. Yes, the worst case. But even then, it, it's, there's no mild version of this syndrome. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's, an autism has a spectrum. Right. There is, to a degree, there's a spectrum of this because the, when she's missing the tip of her, the top of her fourth chromosome and every kid is missing a different number of genes. So she's missing 44. Some might be missing 200 because they have a larger deletion size. But also, you know, where your genes are located on your fourth chromosome, like gene Y might be a little higher up on the gene, on the arm of the chromosome. 
So she might be missing that gene, whereas someone else with the syndrome isn't missing that gene. Mm, And so it's so variable. Mm -hmm. So even though they all have the syndrome, it manifests differently. Yes. And then also which your other partners, the other side of the, the other arm of the chromosome that's intact, those genes express themselves differently because they're not competing with the missing genes. Yes. And there's, there's just so much to it. And then she also has extra DNA from her eighth chromosome and that, you know, they don't know exactly how that might manifest. So there's, there's all these factors. So it is also impossible to know what she's going to experience, right. what her outcome is going yeah. to be. Because mm-hmm. you see other kids and you get some idea, but some might have a similar deletion and never talk. Some might have a huge deletion and say some words. Mm. We don't, she's probably going to walk. I think she has a strong chance of, but we don't know if she's ever going to be able to talk. We don't, we just don't know. Mm. Just only time will tell. And that's hard too. Yeah. Not knowing. Yes. Because I spent hours and hours researching the Facebook group, researching online. Mark would tell me, stop looking. And I couldn't, I couldn't not look. I wouldn't be able to either. I would have had to just be deep diving. I'm going to solve this problem. But then you reach this, like now I I can't even go on Facebook and Instagram anymore. I wish I could say it's because I'm avoiding social media. But really it's (laughs) because I can't, I can't, I can't look at typical families anymore. And I know everyone has their challenges and it's not real. You know, social media is not real, but just seeing even the pretend lives hurts. I can only imagine how it feels to have a child that you know coming out of the gate is going to be challenged, not just with physically, but people around her are going to treat her differently. Oh, absolutely. And And you differently. Absolutely. And I can see it from the other side of I have always had a struggle interacting with children with special needs or adults with special needs because I don't want to do something wrong. A lot of it comes from a fear of, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to offend because it's a sensitive situation. And my goal now being in it is I want to be as open as possible about talking. I'm probably too open about talking about it, whether it's my grief through the process of it or being open. I'm at the supermarket. Mark's the kind of person they go, oh, how old is she? And you'll tell and you won't explain why she's so little. Whereas I like to tell them why. Mm-hmm. She's she's 16 months and she's 14 pounds. My, my other two were 14 pounds by a month. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? and well, they were 10 and a half pounds. So they <laughs> <laughs> didn't have a long ways to go. And and I like being open about, about it. But it's really hard navigating and I'm still trying to find the right way to navigate this feeling of I love Mabel she's my baby I don't love her syndrome I don't love the circumstance that she's in and what that means for her what it means for us and when I first learned about it I felt so much grief and fear and my friend described grief as wanting something more than anything in the world and not being able to have it. Hmm. And I just wanted Mabel to be whole more than anything in the world. And I'm never going to have that. And I felt so stuck in the grief. And then you feel this pressure like anything else, any other kind of feeling you have or whatever you're going through, you feel this pressure of, I shouldn't feel that way. Right. When am I going to get better? Everyone's ready for me to get better. You know, the first few weeks, people feel for you. 
But after a while, when they ask how you're doing, they don't want to hear that you're still they sad. They really don't want to know. They don't want to know. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't begrudge people for that. Mm-hmm. It's you human know, nature. It's human nature. I get it. You don't want to be stuck with, you don't want to bring other people down. But then now all of a sudden, not only are you dealing with the grief, you're dealing with the, why can't I get out of it fast enough? And loneliness because yeah. you have nobody to talk to. No, you don't want to bring your no family down with you. Yeah. And that's where coming back to women, when I felt this grief, and it felt like being in a dark room and you can't see the little lights that kind of helped me out of it were other women who felt grief. Some of my friends, some people from church, people that come out of nowhere, angels on earth mm-hmm. who share their grief with you. And it's only them that can do it. You know, um, people who haven't had that level of world ripping apart and not knowing how to put it back together again knowing when you do put it back together again it's never going to be the same you need others who have been there and i am so grateful for the other women and i'm sure there's other men but it happened to be women that helped me who shared that grief and helped kind of lift me up and it's always going to be there and you hope that you'll be able to get all the way out of it. But we got to give ourselves some leeway in knowing that it's okay to be sad. So it's not like a broken bone where the doctor says it's going to get better after three to six months. There's no, there's plenty of books about grief, but there's no real answer as to when you should be able to walk again right. the way you did before. Did you feel some kind of guilt that maybe it was my doing oh absolutely oh did i did i drink diet coke too much (laughs) did i I take some (laughs) prescription at some point in my life Mm -hmm. and one of the benefits of having done so much reading and looking into it was one thing there's a gal that wrote extensively about it she's talked about how she was going to be the super mom eat all the right things do all the right things in pregnancy and be the super mom and her baby had wolf Hirschhorn syndrome she wrote a book called raising a rare child i have i can't bring myself to read it um, but I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. But she talked about how we we put all this burden on ourselves. But the reality is the same metabolic pro- maybe the wrong biological term. The same process of DNA coming together and ripping apart that our bodies use to create super athletes that go on to the Olympics is the same process that leads to the ripping apart and exchanging of DNA information where pieces get left off. And you don't have an Olympian, but you have our little Mabel. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing that I could have done. My the way it was, if it was my if it was my egg, that's the egg I was born with. If right. it was Mark, that's just how that one came out. There really, it really wasn't anything we did. But it's hard not to blame yourself because I think of oh, had I waited another month, yeah, it wouldn't have happened. Had right. I, why did I that day? that one time had we not because i wanted another baby and mark was kind of done with two and i wasn't and now it's my fault because i wanted more i was greedy and i wanted more babies you know and it's hard not to point fingers and blame yourself especially at yourself um do you hear people say you know god only gives you that which you can handle oh (laughs) yes or this is such a blessing and and she's brought here to be a blessing to everyone i'm like no she's brought here to be mabel Mm-hmm. You know, just but and and I have to stop myself because I know people mean well. It's kind of like when you're pregnant right. and they yeah. go, "Oh, you look like you're having twins," and I'm going, "Am I supposed to take that? 
how am I supposed That's to take right. <laughs> right. But I, I just try to give people grace and know that most people aren't malicious. They're just, and I think, how many dumb things have I said in my, my life? That's the right. thing. That's the That's only the way thing. you can look at it. How is it going with you and your husband through this journey? You know, I, there's two sides of it. I am so grateful that I married Mark. He has worked extensively with kids with special needs. I know. It's it's kind of, that's why I brought it up. Yeah, he is, if you're the, if you're going into this, this challenge or this new journey, I should say, I hate to frame her special needs as a, a challenge. It is, but I, I don't want to focus on too much on the negative because you really need to try and uplift and and not see it as a burden. Um, and so it's a journey. Look how much advocacy had to go into just getting kids what they need because of, and so that's why I'm careful to try not to frame it and focus too much on the challenges that we go through because it is important as a society that we look at uplifting because that's the only pathway forward. But Mark has worked so extensively with kids with special needs and he's so good with her and I'm so grateful that he's my partner on this. Um, he has a little different philosophy though on um, emotional challenges. So it was really hard for him when I was having all this heart like, postpartum and he was concerned that I might not ever come out of it. Right. Uh, what was he going to do? You guys got to fix it. Yeah, yeah, it fi- exactly. And and that's really goes to the heart of how different my dad is because I was raised where my dad always knew exactly what to say to make me feel better. And Mark has, his philosophy is, I can't fix what's inside you. Only you can. Mm-hmm. I, you need to uh, try to help you get the tools to help fix what you're going through and, and get you out of it that way. And I go, no, no, no. I need my dad to tell me something and, and make me feel better. <laughs> yeah. so, so, I need some help here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a big struggle. That was really a hard Speaking time. Speaking different languages, really. Yes. And what was hard is my dad, it was hard on, to my dad to see me going through so much grief. And I didn't want to make it harder on him. Yep. And so I, I didn't want to reach out to him. Like, I, I know he would have. I He'd feel sad if I, you know, said I didn't. And I did lean on him, but not as much as I would have liked to because I know it was hard for him and that that was hard. And I know he'd feel sad to hear that because he never wants to not be there for me. Mm -hmm. But I I did find comfort in knowing that my dad, anytime I've had a hardship or challenge or feel down, always has the right words to say. I don't know how he does it. Some people just have that gift and he has it. And so sometimes when I'm feeling down, even now about the challenges ahead and how it's never going to go away this is a, the next 50 years mm-hmm. you know i'm going to be 80 changing diapers right mm-hmm. um and i'm like i need someone to talk. and it's hard to find my dad's busy i'm busy it's hard to get that an hour to just grieve and have that comfort i know the words are out in that universe because my dad has them mm-hmm. so even if i'm not talking to him i know that they exist and sometimes that's enough to get find the by. comfort mm-hmm. but i do know that um that was that also made it really hard to come out of the grief is i i didn't have that and i'm grateful for those women in my life who who came and helped me because that that's not how mark mark he heard about it he thought about it and he was ready to go let's do mm-hmm. this yep and i just wasn't 
I was on the ground wondering how I'm ever going to get up. And yeah. he's ready to go run the race. And I go, we're on two different reality levels here. And, and that was hard. To, that was really hard. Uh, your kids are so little, your older <laughs> kids. Do they, what's their, what's kind of been their reaction? You know, they, this is just their life. They, I, I, um, Roy and Isla were born so close together. I feel like Roy never knew life without a sister, right? Right. And I, with the third one, I was thinking, oh, now they're both old enough to be like, oh, there's a new one in the, yeah. in the mix. Help. Um, yeah. But Mabel's been different in that she's been so mellow and easy, whereas I think a typical child might get in their way more, you mm-hmm. know, because mm-hmm. she's pretty, and Isla adores her. They both adore her, and I don't, I don't think they know any different. It doesn't stand out. I talk about it. I try to prepare them for what's going to be, but I don't want to, you know, overdo it. But when I can, I mention that when Isla complains, oh, Mabel did this. Mabel licked me because, you know, (laughs) Isla's been too close to her and her tongue happened to touch her. Mm. I I go, Mabel can't control what she does and she'll she might not ever be able to control it as well as others so we gotta be extra patient with her and help her and in in those kind of opportunities i take to try and mention that we need to help her maybe a little more than a typical person because she she's missing part of her dna dna are the instructions Is that what you say to the kids yeah i That's tell true. them she's missing a piece of her dna and dna's our little instruction sheet on how a body should be and she's missing some of that and her body did the best it could but it's missing Mm -hmm. some it missed some some instructions so it's she's not going to be able to do things we hope she can talk and we hope she can walk but she's going to need our help and she'll be a little different Mm -hmm. and just to prepare them in that way and i hope one of my hopes is that that will really my kids are already so sweet and loving Mm -hmm. but that it will really help them be more compassionate. And mm-hmm. someone else told me that they had a sibling with special needs and it made her and her children, they if they see someone with special needs, they go straight to them. Right. Oh. And, and I will say, I don't expect anyone who hasn't, doesn't have someone with their special needs in their family to know what to do or how to do it or say the right things. And I get the reluctance to interact. I, I don't, yeah. but when someone knows how to interact with Mabel, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And so I try to use that. And if I see kids who who have special needs, I want to make more of an effort to do that personally um, because it has, she has this one therapist that's so good with her and the way it just brings so much joy. And I used to, you know, and hear things about how commercials and tv shows need to represent more groups and Mm -hmm. i just hear it and whatever but when i see kids with special needs on tv it does make a difference it does yeah it really does and and you feel part of the world and and you don't feel so alone alone. yeah yeah so so trivial is that it really does make a difference and so um she won't have as many of those moments and i'm grateful for the ones that do come Mm -hmm. and i'm hoping that my children will be comfortable, grow up just comfortable around it so that they can make others have those special moments in their lives. I feel like your work ethic at the beginning we were talking about has prepared you for this this grand challenge slash journey, which is your life and everybody's life, but your life in particular, especially right now. We had the uh, enduring to the end. and But there's something, I don't know, I've always been drawn to enduring. That's my 
my thing. We talked about the earlier in Tipinogus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I always wanted to do with my dad. And there was this little Labor Day weekend that was, I was like, hey, we can do it. We can go on a Saturday. A Thursday night in the middle of the night, I woke up, but I thought, oh, we should try and do Timpanogos. I have some Southwest <laughs> miles. I mess- literally messaged my dad at like 10 o'clock at night. And he replied, okay, because that's the kind of person he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I booked it the next day, booked the hotel. We go out there and it was not what I had imagined. I was a lot of shape. But we got to the top and it was hard. And I think about how originally we were going to get there, sleep, and then get up early in the morning and go do it. Instead, we decided we landed at five o'clock. We're just going to go do it now. (laughs) uh, It's like a seven-hour hike when you're in shape. And I wasn't quite there, but we, we did it. And I remember thinking towards the end, the first six miles... I'm trying to think how many miles, however it was. We're okay. But the last two miles up the steep hill and the shale and it was really demoralizing. And I'm like puking up at the top a bunch of times. And I'm like, we got to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the kind of people my dad and I are. Like, I'm vomiting. He's, you know, we're both tired. And it's at this point, it's like problem. He has knee problem. It's like 11 o'clock at night. And now we're at the top. And now we got to get down. the freezing? I didn't realize when I'm, when I exercise, I get hot. So it was cold. If we stopped, all of a sudden I was like, this is freezing cold but if we were moving you didn't notice it so that helped us keep moving but and it's dark and you can't see and as we're coming back to the shale there's no trail when you're on the shale you just have to look for these little cairns and when you're going it was a little light when we were getting there but once we're at the top coming back i'm like we're gonna get stuck on this mountain we got there was one point where i'm like i don't know if we're ever gonna get off of this stupid thing and it was so miserable and getting off of it and I felt so bad that I hauled my dad all the way out here and I had remembered hiking it and loving it and the beautiful glacier field and the the wildflowers but they weren't out that time of year (laughs) and the glacier field was like this puddle that looked hideous and I'm going oh my gosh what what on the (laughs) earth (laughs) sometimes that's life you know you're puking and nothing looks pretty and and yet I'm so glad my dad and I did it I don't know when I'm ever going to get a chance to do it yeah or was I 100% in shape no but I'll always have that memory of us. I we did that. Yeah. It was I was like sixteen miles round trip. Oof. <laughs> and and it was many? started at five at night. Five in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and we finished at like three a.m. and we got a rest for about two hours before we had to load up and get to the airplane and come Ooh, flying whoa. because we moved our flight up because we were originally supposed to come later in the day and I was like, well, we could, if we start in the afternoon on Saturday, we can fly back earlier. <laughs> so there was like no sleep. I already don't get enough sleep. I'm like what am I thinking now? I would have no sleep on this time. And and how horrible is this whole experience? And yet I loved it. Mm -hmm. I love that we did that. I didn't love, I I will tell you, coming down that mountain was pretty brutal psychologically. (laughs) But I, psychologically, psychologically, I remember telling me, I'm never going to get off this thing. It never ends. Yeah. (laughs) But we did it. And now like life. Yes, it is exactly like life. It wasn't pretty. I'm so proud of us for doing it, for getting to the top. And for not giving up, and even though it wasn't as pretty as we remembered it, and it's probably not the most memorable, wonderful experience, but I did that with my dad. And I wanted to do it for years, and we made it happen. And I'll always have that memory with my dad now. It's amazing. That's amazing. It's worth it. So before we end every podcast, we ask our guests to give us a takeaway gift. Do you have something that you can leave with us? 
so our listeners can remember you by? Can I leave two things? Absolutely. Oh, okay. We would love that. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. one kind of goes with what we were talking about with my, my dad always has a piece of advice. And one of the things that's helped me tremendously in life, and I think about it every day, is when you feel overwhelmed, it's only because you're trying to do everything at once. Mm-hmm. And I get overwhelmed a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I remind myself, I'm trying to do everything at once. Pick one thing. Mm-hmm. Just pick one and do it. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you got the one thing done. Okay, now I can move on to the next. And the feeling of being overwhelmed is gone. And you've moved forward and you've gotten things done. And that, I can't tell you how many times I think about that. And then the other one goes back to Women's Month and my grandma. Mm. And she said, love is not a pie you divide up. It grows exponentially. And especially now that I'm having baby number four and I hear a lot of folks um, who are concerned about, oh, you have more kids, it's just hard. How do you love them all? Or how do you find time to love them all, right? Mm -hmm. And I just remind myself, it just grows exponentially. You can't divide up love. It just grows. Devin, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it so much. This was really nice to reconnect with you. The last time Devin and I saw each other, I'm just going to tell a quick story. We were running the Ragnar. And for people who don't know, Ragnar is a uh, relay race with... 12 we, 12. we have 12 people mm-hmm. and i don't know how many miles sometimes we had 11 200 miles total okay yes. divvied up amongst the 12 people. divvied up among and it's not divvied up evenly i know because i always took the shortest <laughs> and devin always took the longest so we were sort of bookending each other there on that whole thing and uh we were standing in line uh to use the bathroom at the end we ended in beautiful napa valley and it was absolutely the most gorgeous run i've ever done probably the last run i've mm-hmm. done which has been a couple of years we're standing there waiting we had to go to the bathroom so bad at the porta potties <laughs> yes for anybody who knows ragnar it's all about the portos it's the porto it's that porto life and so we're standing there waiting and just like kind of doing a little dance you know and the porta potty opened and out came the largest hairiest man big burly dude the biggest burliest dude you've ever seen Who'd and been in there a while Devin looked at me and goes Oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Hold it. <laughs> and we both ran for the shell station or something. I don't know what we did, but we, we were like... spotted in a bush and that was way better. <laughs> oh my goodness, that was not going to work. Anyway, Devin, thank you so much for coming on today. We were Memories. so happy to see you. Um, I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We're Two Average Girls. Be sure and rate, review, subscribe, and download. We're on Instagram and Facebook, Two Average Girls Podcast. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.